Welcome back to Mosaic, the podcast from Education Development Center. Mosaic is a place to explore pressing challenges in education, health, and economic opportunity around the world. I'm Burke Ronofsky, senior writer at EDC. For decades, EDC has been using interactive audio instruction, or IAI, to deliver education to remote and impoverished communities. And at a time when schools around the world are closed to combat the spread of coronavirus, IAI offers ministries of education a low-cost, evidence-based way to support student learning at home. In this episode, I talk to EDC's Kit Yassine and Carrie Lewis about what makes IAI so well-suited for our current reality, and how ministries of education can begin implementing these educational programs. So Carrie and Kit, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today to talk about interactive audio instruction. And I think before we dive into the topic at hand, uh, let's take a moment to do some quick introductions so that our listeners know who, um, you know who they're hearing from today. Kit, I was wondering if you could go first. Sure. My name is Catherine Yassine. Everyone calls me Kit. I am an instructional designer by training. So I've spent my 20 plus years at EDC, both designing and, and producing educational programming and materials and projects. Great. Thanks for being here. And uh, Carrie, tell us about yourself. So I'm Carrie Lewis. I came to EDC as an early childhood teacher and working as a teacher trainer. And so that's what I've continued to do at EDC is working on teacher training, working on curriculum development, and working in large part on IAI programs. Thank you very much to both of you for being here today. And the big question I think we want to uh, talk about today is how can interactive audio instruction support primary education during the pandemic? I mean, certainly there's a lot of upheaval going on in uh, elementary school, primary school around the world. But before we really dive into that big question, uh, I was wondering if we could sort of define it quickly for listeners who might not be as familiar with the term as, as you are. So, Kit, let's start with you again. What What is interactive audio instruction? Interactive audio instruction, which is sometimes referred to as interactive radio instruction, if it's, if it's delivered via radio, is a way of producing educational programming, but making it more like a conversation between the audio program and the characters in it and the teacher or the facilitator in the classroom and the students who are learning. So it becomes a a way of bringing interactivity into instruction and coaching the teacher or the facilitator through the lesson and helping them improve their own skills while also um, reaching the students. Each lesson is comprised of a series of different types of segments like a song or a game or an activity. And built into all of those segments are questions that the the teacher or the the parent or the facilitator is prompted to ask the students um, so that there is constant interactivity going on. So both of you have implemented IAI programs in in different countries. You've you've, been to classrooms where it's it's been used. I'm wondering if you can take me inside a typical IAI classroom and just tell me what it looks like. So Carrie, tell me about one of your experiences visiting an IAI classroom. So when you walk into an IAI classroom, typically uh, you'll see the teacher and a large group of students and a radio, and they're all listening and they're all, they're both interacting and they're all active. I think that that's what's different. Typically you go into a classroom that doesn't have IAI and it's just the teacher talking and the students are listening or not listening. Back in 2007, when I was in Malawi, I went to visit a teacher's classroom as as part of our monitoring of IAI programs and and met this interesting 
teacher. Um, he was a teacher's teacher. He walked into his classroom. There was just so much more going on in his classroom than any other teacher. And he, he talked about how the IRI programs were assisting him with his teaching. He said, you know, he first struggled with the pace. It was a little bit fast, but he soon learned that he could do so much more in the time that the IAI lesson was playing. And they're typically about 30 minutes um, for a lesson. So it helped him to improve his pace. The students were excited because there wasn't a minute to waste. They were responding. They were then moving on to a song. They were listening to a drama. And it was just, he was just so excited about his classroom and what was possible for his students. The other thing about it is that you are able to produce really engaging programs. And one thing we've seen is that attendance tends to to go up when there are IRI programmings being used. They'll hear the music, they want to hear the story. It's kind of like a, you know, often written kind of like a soap opera. So they they want the they want to hear the next episode. There are characters who are very similar to, you know, the students themselves. I remember one classroom in the Dominican Republic. And one of the characters in the drama of the program was a young man who had been studying English for years and just, but still couldn't speak it. And, and he really spoke it pretty poorly in the program. And you kind of slowly hear him get better and better. Um, and the students just loved it. They loved hearing someone who was really struggling and, you know, they, they just identified with it. And one young man I spoke with, a boy who was about 11 said, you know, I said, do you know, do you think you'll, you'll be learning English with these programs. And he said, absolutely. And I said, well, how do you know? And he said, well, did, have you heard Luis speaking? I mean, that guy can barely speak at all, but I mean, he's getting it, so so can I. And for a minute, I thought he was really talking about a real person. And then I realized he was talking about the character in the program and that it just sounded that real to him. And that was a, a really wonderful moment that in terms of kind of demonstrating the impact it can have so that's interesting. You just described what it's like to actually be in a, a classroom that's using IAI. But I'm also wondering about the research behind this methodology. I mean, we know that it's been around for a long time, but is there any research that actually shows that IAI works? We were grateful to have a study done in Zanzibar, where we had been working for several years, uh, working with the Ministry of Education and their national radio system. We took a look at students receiving IAI instruction, and then followed them six years later to see where they were. And we found out the students that had received IAI were doing better, outperforming their classmates. And these are the students that had the most difficulty gaining access to education, uh, were the most vulnerable, uh, were the furthest behind, and yet they were still outperforming their classmates. It's not just the one year where students get to participate in this unique type of education, but it's the impact that happens over the following years and how they're able to participate in that class. Yeah, um, you know, I think one of the ways we know it works is that funders uh, such as USAID or the World Bank have continued to support IAI programs over four decades now, and you can see evidence of, of results of, of all of those programs in, in several meta-studies that are out there. One of them is called Tuned In to Student Success. There are also studies that were commissioned by either USAID or, or the World Bank, other funders really looking at it. When you read these studies, you see 
pretty consistent positive results over the decades that IAI has been used. So I wanted to ask you, what makes IAI such a compelling methodology to, to deliver education right now during the pandemic? Well, I think it, the pandemic has very much highlighted the digital divide that exists in the world. And countries, understandably, quickly ran to producing whatever they could produce or looking for whatever, for whatever they could find to deliver online. And then kind of realizing that there is a large percentage of the population in many countries that who, do, who don't have access to the internet. Or if they do, they might have one device at home. So there's one smartphone in the home, but there are three kids and a parent who owns that smartphone. And so there's really no way of allowing all the kids to follow instruction via that smartphone or even that one computer if they're lucky enough to have a computer. Um, so many are turning to radio because it is something that is more widely available. So it's it's kind of starting to fill that gap. And it is something that we've seen in the past in, in times when students were kept home from school. So in Liberia, after uh, the Ebola crisis, students were able to continue learning. In Somalia, I remember a situation where schools were closed because of fighting in Mogadishu. And there was a little girl named Najmo. I think there was even a case study written about her, but who was at home. And we interviewed Najmo and her parents. And the parents said, you know, this is the first time she's been able to continue her studies, even though she's being kept at home, because we can listen on the radio. So I think recognition of that capability has has inspired this kind of renaissance of interest in interactive radio instruction. And so, you know, that is why we are speaking with many countries about what programs exist already and, and what programs they might want to develop and being prepared because the future is so uncertain. We don't know how long schools will be closed or if they will close again, if they do reopen or if it will be part-time. Um, and so really to think toward the future. The beauty of IAI is that they're highly designed. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into developing an IAI program, making sure that it follows the country curriculum, um, making sure that it's tested with students that might listen to the program. Um, it goes through a number of edits. It's, it's unfortunate what this situation has caused, but well before the pandemic, we were thinking about students that didn't have access to school. So the project Learning at Taonga Market that was developed in Zambia with the Ministry of Education. We developed those programs for listening centers, places where in parts of the country where students didn't have access to schools, couldn't get there for reasons of geography or, or other reasons. They could go to these listening centers and listen and, and be facilitated by members of the community and listen to these, these learning programs. Think about in the north of Mali, where there's conflict. What can you provide to students who are at home? Not because of the pandemic, but because there's insecurity and they can't move around. So these programs have come to the assistance of communities that don't have access even before, you know, nationally we've, we've gone on lockdown. So the examples that you've been giving have been IAI used in the context of, of a school environment, right? Where you have you have a teacher who's sitting in front of a classroom or working in front of a classroom and the the radio lesson is is guiding this this teacher through. Are there any special considerations for using interactive audio instruction when there's no teacher to facilitate? I, I think it's a real opportunity. 
The only challenge is that the existing programs that they've been designed have been designed for the classroom. So the programs are designed to ask the teacher questions and expect that there's a classroom of 30, 40, 60 children that are there to respond. They may ask to point to certain children in the room. And so when you're listening into the program, you can tell after a few minutes or a few episodes that this was built for a classroom. But there are ways of modulating that so that it's for parents and and for older siblings. And I think it's a real opportunity for parents to learn some techniques, to learn some strategies for teaching children at home. And, And it's a great way for older siblings even to build up that foundation of what they've learned in their early years. When we're talking about early learning programs, for the most part, um, when we're talking about the pandemic response. So I, I, I see it as more of a, an opportunity than, than a challenge. No, I agree. One of the ways we are kind of wor- working on this to, to address this opportunity is to prepare training programs, almost like a, a, a teacher training lesson, but for parents or caregivers in the home that could be broadcast out to really help them first of all, understand that they can do it. Because I think in many countries, parents, particularly if they haven't gotten very far in formal education themselves, um, often feel that they're not capable. If they hear an audio program that says, teacher, ask your students to do this, they they might be intimidated. There's no way I could be a teacher. And so first of all, informing them that they can do it. And um, there may be things that they don't know, and that's okay. And then the kind of how to do it. Because Normally, teachers do have access to uh, a teacher training of a few days to, to understand how they do it. And these parents don't. They're, asked, they're being kind of asked to jump in and swim. So, so to prepare spots and kind of training programs for them via radio uh, is really helpful. And if they have access to uh, video once in a while or the Internet once in a while, there might be a teacher training video they can watch but it is important to give them that support. But also, as Carrie said, really take advantage of the fact that, you know, many programs over the years, any, any, in in any setting, you would want parents to know and support the education that their kids are receiving at school and and help them find ways that they can contribute. And, And this really puts them in the driving seat and really helps them do it. So I think it's, I think it's a, it is a real opportunity. Kit, you mentioned um, earlier how sometimes parents were listening into programs when they're on the radio. And I remember that that was true with programs in Zambia. There was this shadow audience of taxi drivers and people on the street who had radios and they were listening to the programs. And they were then able to go home and talk to their kids about what did you learn knowing what happened part of the day. So parents are really eager to participate in their children's learning if, they, if they're given the resources. So many ministries do not have a lot of lead time to create IAI programs that are sort of perfectly tailored to their individual uh, context. And Kit, I think you were referencing this before, that it can take, you know, it can take months up to years to really craft in-depth programs. But if ministries do want to begin to deliver education via interactive audio instruction, how can they start? Like, what what are some what are some basic things that ministries can begin doing now to begin delivering some of this content over the radio? First of all, um, 
they can identify whether or not there are existing programs that, that they could tap into, um, not only in their own countries, but in neighboring countries. You know, in a lot of places, there's really nothing being offered to parents who are offline. And so, whereas in the past, a, a country might have been a little bit hesitant to use programs that were developed for another country, at this point, they're, they're a little more open to it. And then secondly, um, one of the things we've been doing is sitting down and, and talking um, with ministries about whether or not they can use them as is, or whether or not there's really something glaring that, that would need to be modified. For the most part, we've been able to use the programs as is if we are able to produce some programs or spots such as the ones I was describing earlier, where it, it tells parents and teachers and, and communities, you know, what's coming and what it is and how it works and, and that sort of thing. So, so that's the next step. And then third, um, really, ministries are looking at ways of adapting any support materials that might have been used. So if there was a teacher's guide, for example, that had been developed for a previous program, one of the things we're talking to ministries about is how we can help digitize that, those materials so that they could potentially be delivered to cell phones. Even if someone doesn't have a smartphone, is there essential information that they might want or need that could be delivered via text? Building on what Kit was saying, you know, there are increasingly more options to share text. Um, we're looking at WhatsApp as a possibility for sharing text information to support the program. And, you know, as she said, you know, looking across border to look at local language groups. We've developed some programs in Mali and we're thinking about, well, you know, what other countries could be served by those very same programs that speak the same or similar languages. You know, and, and there are other things that you can do that are can step in while you're producing programs. You can broadcast, as we're doing in Zambia, teacher tips or some stories just to keep alive the sense of learning, interest in learning, model some good strategies for, for telling stories and for listening to stories and asking questions. Those are some of the things that you can do in, in between the times of developing new programs. Great. Well, that is all very good advice. And I wanted to thank both of you for coming on today and talking about interactive audio instruction. Good luck with all of your work. And uh, let's touch base again soon. Okay. Thanks, Bert. Thanks for listening to Mosaic. To learn more about interactive audio instruction, or to listen to examples of IAI from around the world, visit us online at edc.org.